Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. A warm welcome to First Move. Great to have you with us this Thursday. Lots to get to today, including Jay Powell hints at a Fed reset Sam Bankman-Fried has a lot of regret. And in Washington, D.C., a transatlantic tete-a-tete. French President Emmanuel Macron is set to arrive at the White House at this hour. You're taking a look at live pictures there as part of his three-day state visit to the U.S. Presidents Macron and Biden ready to discuss funding for the war in Ukraine, the global energy crisis, as well as French concerns over U.S. subsidies to the green energy sector. The very latest on today's talks and tonight's state dinner in just a moment. But first, U.S. stock futures and European shares are on the rise. That's after a softer-than-expected read on U.S. inflation and a solid look at U.S. consumer spending. All this after that big rally Wednesday that saw the Nasdaq and the S&P soar more than 3%. The Dow, in fact, entering a new bull market. Yes, I said bull market, up 20% from recent lows. Stocks spiked Wednesday after Fed Chairman Jerome Powell hinted at less aggressive Fed rate hikes, saying that... Central bankers are aware of the dangers of tightening too far, too fast. And Powell's speech helping propel Asian stocks as well. The Hang Seng rising three quarters of a percent after finishing out its best month since 2003. That's on Chinese reopening hopes. More on that in just a moment. But first, U.S. President Joe Biden welcoming French President Emmanuel Macron at the White House. They will hold a briefing with reporters in just a few hours after they've sat down for talks. Later, the French leader will be honored with the first state dinner since President Biden took office. Joining me now is Sophie Petter. She is the Paris bureau chief of The Economist. Sophie, wonderful to have you. How significant is this trip? As I said, it is the first full state visit that Biden has hosted. So how significant is it that he's hosting France? Well, I think it's an incredible honor for France. And the French are very much treating it as a sort of confirmation of the friendship that the two countries have. They consider each other oldest allies. And it's also the second state visit that Emmanuel Macron has made to the US. Uh, He was in there in 2018 under Donald Trump. And that makes him the very first modern French president to have two state visits. So I think it's an incredibly important, uh, you know, tribute to his um, countries, friendship with America, but also to his leadership within Europe. Mm. So certainly holds some symbolic value. Do you think either side walks away from this with any deliverables? I mean, what are the priorities here, do you think, uh, certainly for France, but also maybe for President Biden in the U.S.? Well, I think there are two things going on here. The first of them is that there is a concern on both sides of the Atlantic that Europe 
remains unified and solid, especially during this winter period um, in, in terms of supporting Ukraine and holding solid and strong against Russian aggression. So that is really important for both sides. Europe knows very much it depends on America for the support that America has given to uh, Ukraine during this war. But the Americans are also very concerned that Europe, you know, pulls its weight. So that continuing that unity is important. The second point, and this is where the, it comes from the French side, is the concerns that Europeans have about America's uh, support to its green uh, industries. And that's where Europe feels that its own industries are really going to suffer from this if they aren't already. And at a time with soaring energy prices in Europe, it's, it's a very difficult subject for uh, Europeans. So that, that is going to be the sort of point or the, the tricky subject on the table mm -hmm. for, for Macron, President Macron Biden. Lots of uh, thorny issues, as you point out. And Sophie, one thing that caught my attention is that Macron is traveling with uh, quite an entourage, includes ministers of defense, finance, as well as business leaders. What does that signal to you in terms of the range of topics that Macron perhaps hopes to uh, broaden or perhaps to further? It's a really interesting point. I mean, if you look at the people, we've got there are two astronauts, two French astronauts traveling with him. There have been there are uh, um, authors, there are you know cultural uh, representatives, businessmen, tech representatives, finance, uh, a really broad range. And I think it's um, again, it's a reflection of this sort of breadth of the relationship across the Atlantic. And I think what what Macron is also trying to tell those uh, French representatives who work on transatlantic issues, you know, to, to sort of, uh, that they're representing France abroad at, at the same time. You know, it's, uh, France has uh, always these sort of anxieties about making sure that its voice is heard in the world and that French, the French way of life, French savoir-faire, you saw President Macron with his baguette yesterday. He's very keen to promote every element of the French way of life. And I think it was, it's therefore important for him to, be, to go beyond the political uh, symbolism of this and to remind America and the French traveling with them that there are all these economic ties, business ties, tech ties, cultural ties that make the, 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 make the, import, the, the relationship between France and America very important on a much broader level. Absolutely. It's a great point, Sophie. Lots of ties and certainly a lot to discuss for the two leaders and a lot to discuss later on in the show. So we'll bring you back just as soon as we uh, hear from either leader. Sophie Petter, Paris Bureau Chief of The Economist. Thank you. We'll check back with you soon. Let's head to China now, where China is relaxing some COVID rules, with one official calling for a human-centered approach to the virus. It follows days of nationwide protests. So this man is shouting unsealed as workers remove barricades on the streets there. Lockdowns in several parts of the city have been lifted, along with district-wide mass testing. In Shanghai, where a lot of the video has emerged of protesters clashing with police, well, health authorities there lifted lockdowns across 11 districts. Not every city is easing up, though, and some authorities and some authorities are sticking with the zero COVID policy. Ivan Watson joins me now. Ivan, wonderful to have you. So, look, these comments seem to suggest perhaps a relaxing of zero COVID. I mean, is that is that your take? Is this the beginning of a new strategy? Some kind of a shift, and we don't know where the end result is going to be. I mean, Chinese authorities have made fun of the West, directly mocked, for example, the U.S. approach to COVID, calling it the live flat 
policy that they say resulted in the deaths of a million people, and they insist that theirs is better. Uh, the video that you just showed of the man kind of yelling, hey, the, the lockdown has ended in Guangzhou, that's from Wednesday. It's all the more striking when you consider that Tuesday night in Guangzhou, you had riot police in hazmat suits clashing with residents, firing tear gas, people who were so angry about the lockdowns. And then the very next day, that city lifts some of the city's lockdowns, hearing uh, some lockdowns lifted in Shanghai. And then this statement coming from a top Chinese government official, the vice premier, saying, quote, with the decreasing toxicity of the Omicron variant, the increasing vaccination rate and the accumulating experience of outbreak control and prevention, China's pandemic containment faces a new stage and mission. And she made no mention whatsoever of zero covid. Let's take this all with a grain of salt, though. While some relaxation has taken place, as of Thursday, there were thousands of buildings and residential communities across 32 cities in China that still remain under strict lockdown. Rahel? Hmm. So fascinating. Ivan, so we know these protests have taken place across 17 cities. When I look at the protests, I see a lot of young faces. I mean, what's the status of these protests now? I mean, what can you tell us? Uh, it's kind of hit or miss because the police state has come into force to to censor, to intimidate uh, and try to pretend like this never really happened. There's been no official mention of this. Instead, we have very substantial coverage of the death of a former Chinese leader who, who passed away on Wednesday. That is Jiang Zemin, 96 years old, dying of leukemia. And uh, instead of images of the protests in Shanghai uh, over the weekend, we see the city's streets lined with mourners uh, watching the uh, body of Jiang Zemin taken through that city and then flown to Beijing, where he was met uh, by none other than the current leader of China, Xi Jinping. And all the more fascinating here that uh, Jiang Zemin is shown in an open casket uh, wearing his kind of trademark heavy spectacles as well. Now, that the Chinese government is uh, declaring him kind of a, a, a hero of Marxism, an important of course, leader of the Communist Party. And we have seen some outpourings uh, of, of people laying flowers in his honor. What's interesting online, and the Chinese internet is always very heavily censored, is that you're hearing a bit of nostalgia about Jiang Zemin, who uh, led the country in the 90s and the early aughts, with some people making the point that China felt freer then, more open to the outside world, than it does today when it's virtually impossible for outsiders to visit China because of the COVID restrictions. Rahel. It's, it's a very interesting point, Ivan, just in terms of the uh, comparisons between life in China now versus then. Good to have you, Ivan Watson. SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, speaking out for the first time since the stunning collapse of FTX. Ex-billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried told The New York Times that he was shocked when the $32 billion company plunged into bankruptcy in less than a week. He also maintained that he never intended to commit fraud. CNN's chief business correspondent Christine Roman is with me now. So, Christine, did SBF mention anything about why he's talking? Because it raised a lot of eyebrows that he would be talking in this forum when not only is it so soon after the collapse, but also he's being investigated by federal prosecutors. Yeah. It's very curious. 
And talking again today to ABC News, talking a lot against the advice, he says, of his own attorneys. And what he is saying paints a picture, really, of, of a crypto empire with no regulation, no oversight, uh, no CFO. And at times, the founder seems to have no clue. Listen. I mean, look, I, I've had a bad month. Disgraced FTX founder and ex-CEO Sam Bankman-Fried speaking out on camera for the first time since he resigned after the implosion of his multi-billion dollar empire. I'm down to, uh, I think I have one working credit card left. I think it, I think it might be $100,000 or something like that. Bankman-Fried, who was known as crypto's white knight, sitting for a wide-ranging interview at the New York Times Dealbook Summit, speaking about FTX's liquidity crisis and bankruptcy filing. I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. The collapse of FTX is under civil and federal investigations into whether FTX misappropriated customers' funds when it made loans to his hedge fund, Alameda Research. Bankman-Fried addressing this. I didn't knowingly commingle funds. I was frankly surprised by how big Alameda's position was. Bankman-Fried now acknowledging the lack of corporate controls and risk management within the businesses he oversaw. Look, I screwed up. Like, I was CEO. I, I was the CEO of FTX. And I mean, I would say this again and again, that that means I had a responsibility. That means that I was responsible, ultimately. There was no person who was chiefly in charge of positional risk of customers on FTX. And that feels pretty embarrassing in retrospect. FTX, which was once marketed as an easy way for people to get into crypto using star athletes like Tom Brady, Naomi Osaka, and Steph Curry, and even a Super Bowl ad with Larry David to amplify the platform. Edison, can I be honest with you? It stinks. Now its customers don't know how much, if anything, they'll be able to get back. That's right, Rahel. Where is the money and why is he talking so much? He just did a lengthy interview with ABC News where he was asked, do you think you're like Bernie Madoff, the famous Ponzi scheme scammer uh, of the early 2000s? He said, no, Bernie Madoff didn't actually own anything or trade anything. He said he had real, uh, real crypto, real assets there. Where are they? Remains to be seen. Yeah, a lot of people would like to know that. Christine, can I ask, what's the reaction been to these comments? I mean, it's the first time we're really hearing him speak. Of course, you know, he he tweeted and that was sort of picked up in, in magazines. But this is the first time we're really hearing him speak. What's the reaction to this been like? Well, you heard that sort of nervous laughter in the dealbook crowd yesterday when he said he's had a really bad month. And, and, and I think that it's coming off as pretty tone deaf overall because, again, this was meant to be a platform for regular people to get their slice of crypto, where until now, you know, the savvy, savvy and the first movers were the one who really, ones who really made the money. And so I, I think it's pretty tone deaf when there are investors who are complaining that they have lost all their money, that they put their real money, real retirement money uh, under his uh, purview, and they have no idea if they're going to get it back, how much they're going to get back, if any at all. So it's it's really, um, he keeps talking, he keeps talking, and, <laughs> and I'm sure his lawyers don't want him to be talking here. There are multiple investigations into this. Yeah, I'm sure his lawyers wish he just never opened his mouth to begin with. Christine, one last question. Andrew Ross Sorkin, the host from the New York Times, asked SBF, why is he still in the Bahamas? Did he did he have a good answer to that? What did he say? 
you know, he, he's there. He says he's trying to be available for investigators and for the process here so that they can maybe try to get the money back. I mean, I think it seems to be that he's trying to be available for whatever the next steps here are, although he is no longer the CEO and he, he is under investigation here himself. George Stephanopoulos said to him, you know, are you willing to are you ready to go to jail? You could go to jail for a very long time. And he wouldn't answer that question. Actually, that question, the, the interview he did to uh, the air of this morning really kind of, uh, you know, really kind of uh, tripped him up a little bit here because there are those who say there there is an investigation into a massive fraud here, not just mismanagement, but a massive potential fraud here. Christine Romans, great to have you. Thanks for breaking it all down. <laughs> nice to see you. And stay with First Move. Just after the break, we expect to hear from French President Emmanuel Macron as part of his state visit to the White House. Stay with us. And we want to take you live now to the White House where U.S. President Joe Biden is welcoming French President Emmanuel Macron. Sophie Petter is the Paris Bureau Chief of The Economist. She is back with us as we look at these live pictures where we are also expected uh, to see French President Emmanuel Macron, his wife, I believe Secretary of State Antony Blinken has been seen. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris has been seen as well as her husband It's all the pomp and circumstance, of course, of a state visit. It is President Biden's first state visit visit of his presidency. Uh, We are looking at the South Lawn, where it's about 918 Eastern time. You can see the American flag there gently waving in the background. So it looks like it is a windy Thursday morning at the White House. But just as soon as we hear from the president or French President Macron, we will bring that to you live. In the meantime, I want to welcome in Sophie Paris Bureau Chief of The Economist. Sophie, do I have you? Yep, I'm on the line. So it looks like actually Emmanuel Macron, the French president, is arriving as we speak. So let's wait to see this. Uh, This is, of course, a relationship that is uh, very strong, as Sophie mentioned earlier, a relationship oldest allies, but also has been thorny at times. And so a lot to discuss for the two leaders, Ukraine, of course, uh, China, of course, Uh, some more thorny issues, including um, subsidies for green energy, subsidies for semiconductor chips. That is uh, amongst one of the thornier issues. So lots to come here, lots to discuss I should say Macron, for his part, has also traveled with quite an entourage. It includes ministers of defense, finance, business leaders, astronauts. He has uh, come with quite a bit of company. Let's take a listen to some of the pomp and circumstance. And you have the president there. Hugging his vice president, Kamala Harris. You see his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, uh, just behind them. Members of the diplomatic corps, if I can see correctly, I believe the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is also there. I mean, this is an important relationship that has all sorts of implications politically, economically, strategically, militarily. I mean, lots to uh, discuss, certainly among the two nations.
So we'll stay with these live pictures. In the meantime, let's bring in Sophie, again, the chief uh, Paris bureau chief of The Economist. Sophie, remind our viewers just how significant this trip is. Well, I think it is, uh, for the French, incredibly important, a symbolic uh, sort of tribute to France, really. When you think about European leaders uh, since Brexit, uh, it, the UK has been sort of sidelined in terms of uh, considering when, when you look across the Atlantic and you're looking at who you're going to talk to or who might talk for Europe. I don't think the UK can, can claim to do that anymore. Um, and then in Germany, you have Olaf Scholz, who is a relatively new, relative newcomer. And Emmanuel Macron was re-elected in April this year. So he's in, just started his second five-year term. It makes him the most one of the most experienced leaders in Europe. And I think that that President Biden has chosen to, to host this state visit for France is a tribute not just to, to the strength of the French and the American tie, but also of, of Emmanuel Macron's leadership uh, in particular. And at a time like this, when we have war here in the European continent, um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February, it's very, it feels very close and very real to everyone in Europe. It's all the more important, I think, for, for, the, for, for both sides to try and maintain the unity of the allies, um, and in particular between France uh, and the U.S. Remind us of some of the key issues that Biden and Macron will likely be discussing, including some of the thornier issues. Yes, but of course, there are things that they agree on and agree on increasingly. And I would say that top of that list is what to do about Ukraine. I think that at the beginning of the war in February, there were some differences. The, the U.S. had been warning uh, for months that Russia would invade, and the French were quite skeptical about that. They didn't have the same risk assessment. They thought Putin wouldn't do it, but he did, and the French were wrong. And there were some differences there right at the beginning. But I think over the months, um, French and American positions have really begun to converge. I think that both sides, you hear increasingly um, voiced the view that the war at some point is going to have to go to the negotiating table. It has to be at on terms and at a time decided by the Ukrainians, but nonetheless, at some point, there have to be talks. So I think there the French and the American views have converged. Where uh, there are really difficult uh, talks to be had is about uh, trade and subsidies, and in particular the Inflation Reduction Act, which is seen by Europeans as uh, you know a, a sort of laudable in its objective, because of course everyone wants industry to become greener, but as putting U, uh, European companies at a real disadvantage, and that is where I think Macron is going to be trying to. He's going to be pretty blunt, and he's going to try and explain uh, why it's difficult to see this as a constructive move for Europe at a time of when, when, when you need unity and sort of, you know, everyone holding together rather than um, uh, policies which are actually putting European companies at a very severe disadvantage, in his view, at a time when they're also confronted with Sophie, I'm the gonna, soaring I'm energy gonna... prices. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt here because we're now listening to the national anthem. I just want to tune in for this for just a moment.
And that was a 21-gun salute there. We expect to hear from the president momentarily. But while we wait, again, if you were just tuning in to CNN, you are watching, of course, French President Emmanuel F. Macron, U.S. President Joe Biden. For President Biden's first state visit of his presidency, you are watching and listening to the pomp and circumstance that surrounds and associates these type of state visits. We do expect there to be a whole host of issues for the two leaders to discuss, including Ukraine, including uh, China, including potential subsidies to uh, green energy, to semicon semiconductors, the semiconductor industry, uh, and France's perhaps frustration with some of those subsidies. So there will be a lot to discuss in a lot of areas on which the two nations agree, and maybe some areas where the two nations do not. I should say that uh, President Macron has traveled with quite an entourage that includes French ministers of defense, finance, as well as business leaders, uh, astronauts as well. And that really gives you a sense, I think, of the scope of topics, of issues that the French president hopes to discuss with President Joe Biden. Right now we are looking at a reviewing of the troops. It's a relationship, the U.S. and France, that uh, certainly among the oldest allies, the two nations, but it has also not been without its uh, more thornier times. And so this uh, trip really symbolizes uh, a warming of relations between the two countries, uh, really signifies really signifies how far the relationship has come, I think. And Sophie, that's actually where I want to pick it up, because if you can remind our viewers of just a year ago, France and the U.S. weren't exactly on the same type of footing. If I can remember correctly, France was upset about uh, an agreement, essentially, with Australia at the center of that agreement. And so it's interesting to see this visit just about a year from then. I think it really signifies and illustrates how far relations have come. Bring us up to speed on that. I think that's right. I mean, this was the agreement known as AUKUS that was signed in September last year, and it was signed between the US, Australia and the UK, actually. It was a trilateral defense pact, but it was kept secret from the French, and the signing of this pact ended up uh, putting uh, putting an end to a submarine contract that it had with Australia uh, as part of France's own Indo-Pacific strategy. And this absolutely exasperated the French, firstly, that they weren't told about it in advance, and secondly, that you know their own uh, sort of geopolitical strategic vision and uh, their, their interests were being undermined. But 
But I think what's happened is that the US has moved very fast and very skillfully to try and patch up that relationship. And the French were really upset about it. The foreign minister at the time, Jean-Yves Le Drian, called it a stab in the back. So just to give you a sense of quite how upset they were. But President Biden then met uh, President Macron in Rome uh, in October last year, and they had a bilateral meeting. And they, he went out and he, he called, President Biden called what had happened uh, clumsy. And he's really, I think, gone out of his way to fix this, uh, fix this um, relationship. And I, this state visit is, is really the kind of, you know, the ultimate um, you know, sign of respect for France uh, that he could possibly have have given. And I think that's why the French feel that um, it's so important to them. Um, and it really does mark, I think, closes that chapter. And although they have difficulties, you know, France and America have always had difficulties. So France likes to have uh, its own independent voice on the world stage. And that sometimes makes it a tricky partner. Uh, you'll probably remember back in 2019 when President Macron gave an interview to us at The Economist and uh, talked about NATO being brain dead. That didn't exactly go down well uh, in Washington. So I think, you know, there are always moments of where there's a sort of prickliness between the two countries. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, you know, France is America's ally and America and France both know that. And I think and I that's think what this sort of state visit's all about. Mm, it's a great point, Sophie, and I think we'll have to we'll have to, I'll have to interrupt you at some point because we expect the president to speak any moment now. But as I understand it, President Macron and President Biden have had at least seven one-on-one calls this year. So uh, as we speak about the patching up of the relationship, I mean, uh, as you pointed out, it really sort of illustrates how far the two nations have come after that disagreement last year about that agreement with Australia and about that alliance with Australia. And so uh, they certainly have sort of worked to reestablish the relationship. And I think the war in Ukraine, as unfortunate as it has been, has been part of that. Yes, I think that's right. And, you know, there are still differences. I mean, one has to be realistic about it. I don't think that the French and the American views on what to do about China are exactly aligned. Uh, You know, the French do not want a confrontation with China. Uh, France, don't forget, is a considers itself as an Indo-Pacific nation. It actually has territories in the Pacific and the Indian Ocean, and it has over a million citizens living out there. Its navies patrol uh, in the region too, and I think that therefore it feels it has a, a likes to have a, a different sort of an independent voice on China. So there are always going to be issues where the two sides have to discuss. But I mean, the important thing is that they're talking that they're talking on the basis of a kind of a funda- fundamental trust. And the two countries work very well, you know, together. The two militaries. I mean, I'm thinking of the African Sahel, for example. Um, Let me just get in here because I think President Biden is actually speaking. Just give me one moment. Temperature may be a little chilly on this December night day, but our hearts are warm and to welcome such close friends to the White House. President Macron and Brigitte, members of the French delegation, distinguished guests, it's an honor, a genuine honor to host you for the first state visit of my administration. And to celebrate the enduring strength and vitality of the great friendship between France and the United States of America. Bonjour. La température est peut-être fraîche en ce jour lumineux de décembre, mais nos cœurs sont chauds d'accueillir des amis si proches à la Maison Blanche. Monsieur le Président Macron, Brigitte, membre de la délégation française, 
distingués invités, c'est un honneur de vous accueillir pour la première visite d'État de, de mon administration et de célébrer la force et la vitalité durable de la grande amitié entre la France et les États-Unis d'Amérique. As my friend and I were talking, France is our oldest ally, our unwavering partner in freedom's cause. From the spirit of Marcus de Lafayette, who helped secure the success of our revolution, to the sacrifice of American GIs, who stormed the beaches of Normandy, our history has been shaped by the courage of the women and men who crossed the Atlantic carrying within their hearts the flame of liberty. Today, that flame burns more brightly than ever, and the alliance between our two nations remains essential to our mutual defense. France notre plus ancien allié, notre partenaire inébranlable dans la cause de la liberté. De l'esprit du marquis de Lafayette qui a contribué au succès de notre révolution, au sacrifice des GIA américains qui ont pris d'assaut les plages de Normandie, notre histoire a été façonnée par le courage des femmes et des hommes qui ont traversé l'Atlantique portant de leur cœur la flamme de la liberté. Aujourd'hui, cette flamme brûle plus brillamment que jamais et l'alliance entre nos deux nations reste essentielle à sa défense. As allies in NATO, together with our European Union and the G7, and partners around the world, France and the United States are facing down Vladimir Putin's grasping ambition for conquest and Russia's brutal war against Ukraine, which has once more shattered peace on the continent of Europe. Aux côtés de l'Union européenne, du G7 et de partenaires du monde entier, la France et les États-Unis font face à l'ambition de conquête de Vladimir Poutine et à la guerre brutale de la Russie contre l'Ukraine, qui a une nouvelle fois fracassé la paix sur le continent européen. France et les États-Unis sont once again defending the democratic values and universal human rights, which are the heart of both our nations. The wellspring of our strength is a shared commitment to liberty and justice for all. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. La France et les États-Unis défendent les valeurs démocratiques et les droits universels de la personne, qui sont au cœur de nos deux nations. La source de notre force est un engagement commun pour la liberté et la justice pour tous. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. We are proving to people around the world that democracies deliver from our joint leadership to make sure partners everywhere, everywhere, and parents everywhere can be feed their children to cooperate and tackle the climate crisis and to preserve our planet for generations yet to come. And on this World's AIDS Day, we reaffirm our shared commitment to end the AIDS epidemic by 2030. Nous aux gens du monde entier que les démocraties tiennent leurs promesses de notre leadership commun pour faire en sorte que les parents du monde entier puissent nourrir leurs enfants à notre coopération pour lutter contre la crise climatique et préserver notre planète pour les générations à venir. En cette journée mondiale de lutte contre le sida, nous réaffirmons notre engagement commun pour mettre fin à l'épidémie de sida d'ici 2030. President Macron, you heard me speak before about the inflection point 
we stand at in history, and how the choices we make today and in the years ahead will determine the course of our world for decades to come. And the United States could not ask for a better partner in this work than France. For centuries, we've come together, charted a course toward a world of greater freedom, greater opportunity, greater dignity, and greater peace. Monsieur le Président Macron, vous m'avez déjà entendu parler du point d'inflexion que nous avons atteint dans l'histoire et sur la façon dont les choix que nous faisons aujourd'hui et dans les années à venir détermineront l'évolution de notre monde pour les décennies à venir. Les États-Unis ne pouvaient pas demander un meilleur partenaire dans ce travail que la France. Depuis des siècles, nous avons ensemble tracé la voie vers un monde de plus grande liberté, de plus grandes opportunités, d'une plus grande dignité individuelle et d'une plus grande paix. Stalwart friends in times of triumph and of trial, France and the United States will meet the future just as we always have, confident in our shared capacity, sustained by the strength of our shared values, and undaunted by any challenge that lies ahead. And the connections we are building today between our students, our businesses, our trailblazers, will see our alliance continue to prosper and grow stronger for decades to come. So, Mr. President, welcome again, and welcome to the French delegation. I'm honored to have you here and looking forward to a wonderful day together. God bless both our nations, and may God protect our troops. Mr. President. Amis indéfectibles dans les moments de triomphe et d'épreuve, la France et les États-Unis affronteront l'avenir comme nous l'avons toujours fait, confiants dans nos capacités communes, soutenus par la force de nos valeurs partagées, sans se laisser décourager par les défis qui nous attendent. Et les liens que nous construisons aujourd'hui entre nos étudiants, nos entreprises, nos pionniers permettront à notre alliance de continuer à prospérer et à se renforcer pendant les décennies à venir. Donc, bienvenue à venue. Bienvenue à nouveau, Monsieur le Président, et à la délégation française. Je suis honoré de vous avoir ici et je me réjouis de passer une merveilleuse journée ensemble. Que Dieu bénisse nos deux, nos deux nations et que Dieu protège nos troupes. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, the President of the French Republic. Merci beaucoup, Monsieur le Président, cher Joe, Madame, cher Jill, Mesdames et Messieurs, distingués invités. Thank you so much, Mr. President, dear Joe, Madame, dear Jill, ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests. Nous sommes à la fois honorés et émus d'être en ce jour à vos côtés, à la Maison-Blanche. Honoré et ému, vous l'avez dit, Monsieur le Président, à l'instant, car nos deux nations sont sœurs dans leur combat pour la liberté. La France, dès les origines de l'indépendance américaine et de la construction de votre nation, les États-Unis, par le sang versé, des tranchées de la Somme, aux plages de Normandie. 
We are both honored and moved, Mr. President, to be here with you today at the White House. Honored and moved, like you said, Mr. President, because our two nations are sisters in their fight for freedom. France, from the beginnings of American independence, the inception of your country, and the United States in the lives sacrificed from the trenches of the Somme to the beaches of Normandy. Et cette histoire commune nous oblige aussi, face au retour de la guerre sur le sol européen suite à l'agression russe contre l'Ukraine et face aux crises multiples qui frappent nos nations et nos sociétés, il nous faut savoir redevenir frères d'armes. Accordingly, we bear duty to this shared history as war returns to the European soil following Russia's aggression against Ukraine, and in light of the multiple crises our nations and our societies face, we need to become brothers in arms once more. Cet esprit de fraternité doit nous permettre de bâtir un agenda d'ambition et d'espoir, car nos deux pays ont la même foi dans la liberté, dans les valeurs démocratiques, dans l'émancipation par l'éducation, et le travail, dans le progrès, par les sciences et le savoir. This spirit of fraternity must enable us to build an agenda of ambition and hope, as our two countries share the same faith in freedom, in democratic values, in empowerment through education and work, and in progress through science and knowledge. Nos démocraties, d'un côté l'autre de l'océan, sont bousculés par les mêmes doutes sur notre capacité à être suffisamment forts et efficaces face aux urgences communes, aux défis climatiques, sanitaires, géopolitiques, technologiques. Elles doutent parfois face au relativisme, aux discours de haine, aux fausses informations comme aux angoisses contemporaines. Our democracies on both sides of the ocean are being shaken by the same doubts as to our ability to be sufficiently strong and effective when it comes to the challenges we share, those of the climate, geopolitics, and technology. They're in doubt in the face of relativism, hate speech, false information, and today's fears. C'est la même détermination qui nous unit en ce jour, et la même force d'âme. United today by the same determination and the same strength of mind. Nous devons ensemble trouver un chemin pour offrir un avenir possible à nos enfants, fait de prospérité, de justice et d'écologie. Together, we need to find a path to offer a possible future for our children, one of prosperity, justice and ecology. Nous devons ensemble œuvrer pour rebâtir l'unité de nos sociétés par le respect et la reconnaissance qui seuls permettent d'éradiquer la haine. Together, we need to work to rebuild the unity of our societies through respect and recognition, the only means to eradicate hate. Nous devons ensemble tramer les nouveaux équilibres du monde pour faire advenir la paix, construire un partenariat renouvelé et plus équitable avec le Sud. Together, we need to frame new world balances to bring peace 
and build a renewed, more equitable partnership with the Global South. Nos frontières nouvelles sont là, et pour parvenir à les atteindre, les États-Unis et la France sont les alliés les plus solides, car cette amitié est enracinée à travers les siècles. Our new frontiers are there, and it is our shared responsibility to respond to this. And to that effect, the United States and France, the strongest allies, are there because our relationship is rooted in centuries. Notre destin commun est d'y répondre ensemble, fidèle à notre histoire, lucide sur notre monde et déterminé à inventer une espérance. Vive l'amitié entre les États-Unis d'Amérique et la France. It is our shared destiny to respond to those challenges together. True to our history, clear-sighted about our world, and determined to generate hope. Long live the friendship between the United States and France. And we were just watching President Biden and French President Emmanuel Macron give comments uh, on the South Lawn there. President Biden said it was an honor for his first state visit of his administration uh, to host France. He called France uh, a great friend. He said it was a great friendship of America and that France was the U.S.'s oldest ally and an unwavering partner. For Macron's part, he also called it an honor and said uh, he was moved. He said that he called the U.S. his sister in the fight for freedom. He also talked about that shared history, that fight for freedom, saying uh, that we need to become brothers in arms once more. A lot for the two to discuss, including Ukraine, including China, including uh, geopolitical events, including the climate, including technology. Uh, but President Macron saying that together we need to work to rebuild the unity of our society to eradicate hate. Also, perhaps a topic for the two leaders. It is a windy Thursday morning at the White House. It is uh, 10 before 10 a.m. It's also a packed day for both leaders before the state dinner tonight. If you were just joining us, it's President Biden's first state visit of his presidency. It's the pomp and circumstance as both leaders uh, walk into the White House with their respective spouses. And let's bring back Sophie Petter. She is the Paris Bureau Chief of The Economist. Sophie, it's been wonderful to have you on this day. Uh, Just walk us through again the symbolism of this event and what this symbolizes about French-U.S. relations at this moment. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it, watching those images um, from the White House. I was just reminded of how many... Uh, you know, how how many links there are between these two men in particular, uh, as well as their two countries. I mean, you have, they're very different generations. President Macron is only 44 years old. Um, President Biden was born during the Second World War. President Macron was, comes from a region, he talked about the times when American troops have come to Europe, have come to France to rescue France and to uh, bring about freedom. 
and that is very much has an echo in his own life. He comes from Amiens town in the Somme, which was where in the First World War uh, there were was a, was a major battlefield, and there is this sort of quite personal link, therefore, between between the two men as as well as between the countries. And obviously, they've got tough issues to discuss, particularly trade. Uh, and subsidies under the Inflation Reduction Act um, that the U.S. has brought in. But I think that the uh, message here at the White House today has all been about uh, the symbolism of the of the strength of that tie, each other's oldest ally, uh, going back to the American Revolution, um, going back into the 20th century to the times when the U.S. Has, has, has helped liberate France. And then again, you know, being, I think, a real message to President Macron in particular, that Europe at a time when the Americans need Europe to be unified, um, and that there isn't there isn't really another leader who has quite the same stature or experience um, in charge of a big European power. And so, President Macron is beginning to stand out as one of those leaders that the Americans, you know, they both need and they really begin to appreciate. I think as uh, representing, um, you know, a voice that they can trust uh, for the most part, not always, but for the most part in Europe. Mm. It's an interesting point, Sophie, because, I mean, I think back to when uh, earlier this year when President Macron was reelected. I mean, that was the one thing you heard a lot uh, as an advantage of his is his standing on the world stage, his diplomacy skills. So uh, I think that is uh, evidence at the White House today. Sophie Petter, it's been wonderful having you today on this uh, monumental day for the White House in France. Sophie Petter, she is the Paris Bureau Chief of The Economist. We'll have you back soon. And welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running on the first trading day of December. Stocks mostly higher. That's after encouraging new reads on U.S. inflation and also consumer spending. All this after a sizable rally in the previous session, driven by hopes of a less aggressive Fed. Paula Monica joins me now. Paul, wonderful to have you. So help me reconcile this. Powell said the end of inflation is highly uncertain. But on the other hand, markets surge because smaller rate hikes are coming. So you have sort of two opposing objectives happening. Yeah, exactly, Rahel. I think that Jerome Powell really had a fine line that he had to tread. And so far, it looks like the market thinks he did a great job of being sufficiently dovishly hawkish or hawkishly dovish, depending on which bird of which feather you want to focus on. But I think Powell really showed that he realizes that the Fed has already done these aggressive rate hikes. They will probably slow the economy. Inflation pressures are starting to ease. We're seeing that even in the data this morning that came out. And as a result, there is a lag effect. So the Fed doesn't want to go too far with future rate hikes. So it's probably prudent to start cutting the size of those rate increases heading into 2023. And the market, that's exactly what they wanted to hear. They did not want to hear Powell talk about how there was going to be a need for even more supersized 75 basis Mm -hmm. point rate hikes. I think four was enough, according to the markets. Paula Monica, wonderful to have you. Thank you. And that is it for the show. I'm Rahel Solomon. Thanks for watching. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.